You may be seated. Amen. Children up to the sixth grade are dismissed to Children's Church. Kids, you can head on back to Children's Church. We are thankful for the young ones that are around here. Thankful for those that work with the young ones around here. Every time I hear a kid screaming, I know what some people are thinking. Oh, I wish that kid wasn't screaming. And I think the same thing just about every time. I think, aren't you glad to be in a church where we have little kids? Aren't you glad where we have a place where some... Now, I don't want them to keep on screaming, but I'm thankful to not have the silence of no children in a church. And so we are grateful to have young ones. We're grateful to be able to... um, have folks minister to them. And if you have a child or a grandchild, I hope that you're praying for those that minister to our young folks around here as they are an assist to you in pointing them to Jesus Christ. Would you stop and bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we come to you with not only a desire, but a desperate need for you to teach us. And I would ask of that at this time, that very clearly, as I sense the Holy Spirit has been um, obviously involved in our worship, that he would be be obviously involved in our learning now, in our study of your word. And so what we know not, would you teach us? Would you allow us to love you more because of our time studying your precious word today? I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if you are like me, And you have had the opportunity of having two individuals see the exact same thing, but have totally opposite opinions of it. Maybe you can remember seeing something yourself and you had an opinion, whether very, very positive or very negative, and someone else that was even there with you saw the same thing and had the opposite opinion. I was talking to someone this past week and we were talking about um, education of our young people and trying to expose them to things and they had a similar experience that I had um, where they took their kids to an art museum to look at that and were wanting to expose their youngsters to this incredible art and culture and it was a whole bunch of abstract paintings and there are some people who look at those abstract paintings and just their jaw drops open and they cannot believe the creativity and beauty of it And others look at it and see a price tag and say, you've got to be kidding me about something like abstract art. For some individuals, you might look at some beautiful and elaborate landscaping at a home, just tons of bushes and special trees and all kinds of wonderful things that cover the front of a house and the sides and around the trees, and you might see something that's beautiful and amazing. Someone else might look at that and see maintenance, 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 just like that. Who wants to go and pull weeds all the time? I've given you an assignment if you're a regular attender here. And I know it's not a light assignment, but I've asked you in preparation for our study in Ephesians, which we will begin in January, I've asked you if you would do one of two things. Either read through the book Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis, or else listen through it. And um, I particularly enjoy listening through it. You can go to YouTube, and I've given you a specific, there's multiple ones you can listen to. It's just under four hours, and I've spaced it out and listened through it, but a professional reading that. And the screw tape Letters is going to be an insight for you with the battles that we face 
It is a book in multiple letters written from one senior tempter to a junior tempter. And what he addresses is so applicable for our day to day. The things that we face, the attacks that we will see as God's children. And I want to suggest to you that the devil will look at the exact same thing that God is looking at and they see two opposite things. We have likened um, this uh, battle that we are in to spiritual warfare, moves and counter moves. I have talked a few times and we're going to spend one last time today talking about the local church well, I'm going to do a little bit of review, but my goal throughout this time has been that you would understand that being part of a local church is honestly the greatest privilege of your life. And I know that's a strong statement. I know someone rushed past that. If you've been around me for very long, you know I, I do not exaggerate. I count exaggeration as lying in the pulpit, and so I really try not to do that. So when I use strong language like I want you to understand that being part of a local church is the greatest privilege to you this side of heaven, I want you to take that in. Oh, if you have to grapple with it, that's fine. And my direction throughout these talks has been by pointing us to view the church not as the world views her necessarily, but by viewing the church as Christ views her. There was one message that um, I gave, and it was, it, was, it was titled Christ's Thoughts on the Church from Matthew 16 and 18, and I've got quite a bit of feedback from that. Um, that's a message from November 12th. We're going to make available that, that message, and if you know someone who has been in a church and has been burned at a church, they have attended and they've been hurt, maybe by um, a group of people at a church or by one individual but they've not gone back to church because they've been burned. We're gonna make that uh, CD or DVD available to you because that would, might be very helpful. I'm giving you some insight. Let me review, and then we're gonna have a shortened look um, into a text today to give one last thought. First of all, when we talked about this, we talked about some unhelpful views of a church. If you were here for this, you'll remember. We talked about the fact that many Christians will view a church in one of these ways. Some like a gas station where you basically go to get a good sermon, kind of get your spiritual tank filled, and that's mainly what church is to you, maybe all of what church is. There are some that would view church in this unhelpful way of a movie theater, leaving your troubles outside. Some view it like a drugstore, a, drug a place to deal with your pain. And there are some that view it like a big box, big box retailer, you know what I'm talking about here. It has the best programs for you and your family in a safe environment, low cost. This is helpful. Some people view the church in that way. When we were talking about this and we look at the applications for our lives, I want us to make sure that we understand when it comes to the church that Jesus talked about the church in two different ways. In the New Testament, the vast majority of the time, I think over 95% of the time we find the word church, is talking about a local assembly. And too many people do not keep that in mind. They reverse that. And they use the word church almost as just a, a synonym for the word Christian. And we need to be careful not to do that. A takeaway from one message was that I want us to understand that our life is defined by the truth that you belong to Christ. This is that universal church, if you want to use that term. You belong to the body of Christ, 
but further that throughout your life you're growing in your affection for a local group of believers. And that's where the rubber meets the road. Because I'm asking you to grow in your affection for this one over here. And this one here to grow in your affection for this one back here. And that's a hard job description sometimes. But this is what God has given us to do and the reward is incredible. We talked next about the church and we likened it to the master builder building a building. A stone wall is the picture that we looked at. And you'll remember that when we found this imagery that buildings in Paul's day day were built differently than in our day. In our day, when we put a building together out of stone or brick, we have an ingredient that we use that's very, very important that's called mortar. In Paul's day, they didn't have mortar. So when they would build a stone wall, they would have to pick very specifically and uniquely shaped stones and put them together. And the master builder sometimes would have to chisel off some of the rough edges so that this, so that this building could be put together in a very strong way. The strength of the building depends on the uniqueness of the individual stones. And you and I are living stones, we saw. You are here to help shape someone else to be put into that group. You are here to get some of the rough edges and you know who you are, chiseled off of you. And we work together to make this wonderful building that the master builder is putting together. Paul told us in Ephesians chapter two that we are unique, we have different strengths, and we have different weaknesses. You can't get away from that. But as we pointed out when we talked about this, those weaknesses, um, we should not necessarily just wanna sweep them all under the rug. Those weaknesses are going to be something that's going to make us even stronger. It's going to be somewhat of a price that you will pay to be part of a local assembly. We also gave the point that the evidence that Jesus Christ is is present in a church is not when you view things as everything like a showroom. That's not what a church in progress is going to look like. Not a showroom, but more like a construction site. A building site where there are things that are being done. You and I are being built is what we talked about. And where the rubber meets the road there is, is for that one who is very, very different than you, you will not lament the fact that they are in your church. You will not regret that someone with great differences and even someone that annoys you You won't regret the fact that they are part of the building, but instead you will see that they are something unique and even something beautiful in what God is doing. And then we talked about kingdom giving and two considerations for believers, um, that kingdom giving provides for God's church and also kingdom giving is an antidote for covetousness. Now, We're going to talk today one more time about the church. And if you're not already there, would you take your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 in your Bible. And as you are turning there, um, I want to just point us to that special number that we heard a little bit ago. What if the trials of this life are God's mercy in disguise? Turning to Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to look today Um, in in a shortened time, that the local church functions as a body with Jesus Christ as the head. There are many, many pictures that we find of the church in the Bible. 
And those pictures we can learn a lot from. We need to not take them too far. But this picture that the local church functions as a body and Jesus Christ is the head of the body. I'm going to read verses 15 through 23 of Ephesians chapter 1. I'll stop and comment a time or two. But we're really just going to focus in on a very small area. But if you're, if you're one of those ones that salivates over the expository preaching, we're going to come back to this text. Maybe in late January or early February, we'll be back here going in more detail. But I want to take us to a very specific point to wrap up our time focusing on the church, starting in verse 15 of Ephesians 1. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints... I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. I'm going to stop right there. I mentioned a little bit ago that exaggeration can creep in sometimes. When we jump into the book of Ephesians, into our study, you're going to have that word on your mind, exaggeration. Is the Apostle Paul exaggerating with this verbiage he's using here? Because right here, He is really, really building it up, isn't he? He's not exaggerating. There's something that he is building up towards, and you need to get the picture of Jesus Christ, get the picture of the past and the present and the future in Jesus Christ, and he's building up something that's a specific message for these believers. Let's pick it up again in verse number 20. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. So this is where Jesus Christ is currently today, seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and me. But we're gonna get um, some more elaborate speech here. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things. Stop right there. So get the picture of what he's saying. Get the building that is going on with this idea. Jesus Christ, where he is at, the work that he is doing. And probably no one here would argue with me as far as how wonderful and great and how powerful our Lord and Savior is. But why is he building up to all of this? What is the point? He's building up Christ. We don't have a problem with that. But when we make this connection, some of you might scratch your head a little bit. It might be something new to you possibly. Let's read that again in verse 22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to what? The church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. 
The church is the body of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And I'm going to ask you, when we gave those two pictures earlier of the universal church, all believers saved throughout all time, all time and all places, that's not the picture that we want to carry here. We need to carry the picture of the local assemblies. The church is the body of Christ. Christ is the head of each one. Now, there is a different text when we study the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12 that talks about the body us as individuals functioning in different roles. That plays a little better with that picture of the building stones that we've referred to previously. But here we have a different idea in Ephesians 1. This is a distinct picture from 1 Corinthians because the main idea here is that the entire body is unable to function without the head. I thought about going to a farm illustration here. How many of you grew up on a farm? Anybody here grew up on a farm? Raise them high so I can see it. Oh, lots of them. I was going to talk about a chicken with its head cut off, running around, but I thought nobody would understand what that meant. That's one of those expressions that parents say, running around like, like a chicken with your head cut off. That actually happens on farms. You can take the head off of that chicken, and it's going anywhere and everywhere for a little while. But there is no order with that body running around without the head. There is no genuine function. It's just something that makes us laugh. And now a famous expression, apparently. That's what takes place with that. When we study God's word, and even when you study history, when there was a battle that was going on and someone wanted to prove the death of someone else, there was something typically that they did. We find this in the, stor in the story of David and Goliath. When David goes, and what did David kill Goliath with? He killed him with, what was it? It was a little, tiny, small stone, right? But the story doesn't end there. And if you have had to read this story to your kids or your grandkids, maybe you had to clean it up a little bit to try to get it back to rated G. Because after David kills the giant, he runs up, grabs his sword, and decapitates Goliath. Takes the head right off. I can picture him holding, it's gross, I know, but I can picture him holding up that head. This was proof that their champion was dead. Proof that the enemy was no longer alive and could bring any harm to them was that they took the head off. And here we find that Jesus Christ is head over all things to the church, which is his body. That's the idea that we need to grasp here. Maybe you've gone through life and you've had some kind of teaching that pointed you in a certain direction and you found out later on that you weren't quite on the right track. You've had to tweak that or you've had to tone it down a little bit because you weren't quite, fo you weren't quite focusing on the right thing. I want to encourage you that as much as we talk about the local church as much as we talk about the importance of you being part of a local church, as we study this, we do not de-emphasize that one bit. Jesus is telling us here that he has chosen to do his work through the church. Now, is Jesus able to work apart from the church? Well, of course. He can do anything. We just finished not too long ago our study of the book of Acts and we know that Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, God converted him on that road without any believer being around at all. 
But here's what you need to understand, and here's what some people need to um, hear for the first time possibly. For God to work outside the church is an anomaly. That's a rarity. When Saul was saved in that way, it was not the norm. And Ephesians 1 teaches us that God has chosen to do his work through local congregations. So I have said from the beginning that my goal is for you to understand that being a part of a local church is the greatest privilege to you on this side of heaven. And then there are some, and I understand this, I get this because I've been around church for a long time. I've been around church people. And something they all have in common, every one of them is a sinner saved by grace. And sometimes that flesh comes out. So I've been around for a long time. So I know what it means when someone says, I just don't want to get tied up with the church. I just, I just, I just don't want to get too tied up with a church. But I would ask you this question. If you want to have Jesus and you're looking at him and possibly asking yourself the question, what would Jesus do? You need to direct your attention to Ephesians chapter 1. And see that Jesus has chosen to tie himself up with the church. It's not a bad question to ask, but we need to examine it with the scriptures in mind. And the picture is this, our beautiful, glorious Savior, Jesus Christ, the head of the church. And why would he choose to connect himself with a body that looks like you? and looks like me. No offense intended. Why would a perfect and glorious Savior choose to connect himself with a body that is full of wrinkles and warts? And can I say this, a body that is full of scars. Some of you represent scars that you have gotten from being in the body of Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you today to not allow that to be something that would drive you away, but instead I want to point you to the fact that Jesus Christ views those scars as something that is very, very different. Since we are looking at Jesus Christ and how he views his church, let me just give a couple of different applications here for us. I usually give an application at the beginning, but now I'm giving them at the end. Here's what Jesus is able to do for us. First of all, when we look at Jesus Christ, we can see that it's helpful that he's able to bring healing to individuals that need it. He can bring healing. There's one individual that we look at in Luke 22. You don't have to turn there, but you'll remember the story well. When Jesus Christ was being arrested and the soldiers were coming and Judas betrayed Christ with a kiss and Peter was there. Peter wasn't exactly sure what the plan was. I think he had asked. I think he thought he was going to be a top general in Jesus' army. And you'll remember when Christ was arrested how Peter responded. He took out that sword or maybe a small dagger and he cut off the ear of Malchus, the servant to the high priest. He severed that ear. Now as you read that, you know he wasn't going for just cutting off the ear, right? He was trying to get rid of this guy. They were ready to fight Jesus Christ says, put away your sword. And then Jesus Christ goes over to this one that had come as an enemy to him. And can you picture this? Jesus Christ, I think, stoops down 
and takes that ear that was lying on the ground, lifeless, severed, of no good to anybody. He takes that ear and he picks it up and he puts it on the side of the head of Malchus. And with his hand, he seals it. And it was restored. Can I suggest to you that Jesus Christ, very much so, knows that there are some who have been part of the body and they have been severed. They've been cut off. And I've had individuals tell me, I will never go into a church again. Can I suggest to you that the mighty Jesus Christ, who was able to conquer the grave, has the same power to do a work in your heart or maybe someone you know who's, not, who's been severed from a church can do a work in their heart that is miraculous and that is beautiful. But I think there will be a scar that will be left. One more picture. In Matthew chapter 12, we find Jesus Christ as he's ministering that he actually heals a man with a withered hand. You see, there are some that are a part of the body, but they're not functioning in any way at all. And Jesus Christ, he goes and he works and he sees a man that has a withered hand. And as he sees him, he goes and he tells him to do something. It's always interesting when you read the story in Matthew 12 because the thing that Jesus tells him to do is the one thing that he cannot do. He says, stretch out your hand. Well, the man had a withered hand. It was the one thing that he couldn't do. And yet Jesus Christ says, stretch out your hand. And the Bible records for us that his hand was healed. Jesus is able to make useful those in a church who feel that they do not have something to offer. He was able to go. He was able to go to one who felt like he could not do anything and he restored his hand. And can I suggest that you might be part of a local body, maybe even this one, but you have been deceived into thinking that you cannot offer anything. And I wanna challenge you with this. The Spirit will enable you to do the work that God has called you to do. Whatever God has called you to do, you have the power of the Holy Spirit to help you to do that work. Now very quickly, and just referencing our title, I wanna mention this, you cannot be a faithful member of the body of Christ without suffering wounds. And I don't mean to be a Danny Downer, okay? But I'm letting you, because if I don't let you know, you're gonna find out in another way. And then you might hit the exit, okay? You cannot be a faithful member of the body of Christ without suffering wounds. Every member of the body is going to suffer and suffer with the head. And there will always be scars to those who are faithfully following Christ. But let me challenge you with this. These wounds or these scars that are received. They are received when we are joined to the body and they serve as an evidence that we are joined to the head. And just quickly, anybody can stick with the church body when there's no friction and when there's no struggles, when there's no wounds. But that is not going to be the message that Jesus Christ had in mind when he said you will be recognized as his followers when you have love for one another. 
You see, when the world sees you as a part of a church, and if it's just a place you go to get a good sermon, and that's it, or if it's just a place where you go because you like to volunteer in some way, and that's it, that's not going to leave an impact. But when the world sees your commitment to the church and that it has cost you a dear price, did you catch that? When the world sees that your involvement in a church has cost you something, and they know that, and you didn't cut and run, it's then that they will identify your love one for another. And this is how Jesus Christ said that those outside of these walls will know that you are a follower of him by your love one for another. Some are easy to love and some are not. But do not be afraid do not be afraid of God's plan. Even though you're going to suffer wounds from that, do not be afraid of it. I was talking uh, recently with someone about this topic that we spoke on, we, we learned about two weeks ago as far as giving in the church. This is one that is faithfully giving to his local church. He doesn't go to church here. And we were talking about the idea of giving up whatever percentage you use. We kind of looked at 10% as a base percentage and that idea that we said you're giving up 10% less security. Well, that's on his mind because he's faithfully supporting his church, but it does mean at least 10% less security in his life. And then he went on to say, and I'm just wondering, he said, Jeremy, I'm just wondering what's gonna happen from this less security, from doing this. I'm just wondering what's going to happen. Is there going to be some kind of a financial crisis and there's going to be a price to pay? And he was talking about this with just a little tiny bit of trepidation in his voice. And I stopped him with this thought and I told him this. I said, you do not, listen to me, friends, you do not have to be afraid of God's good plan for you. In the, even if it means a valley, even if it means wounds, you do not have to be afraid of that. You do not have to fear the preparation that God is doing for you for eternity, but also in this life. And then let me close with this thought. Because as I was thinking of this, I thought of a pastor friend of mine. I've known him since I was 12 years old, and he's been an encouragement to me. He wrote a book called The Life of the Vine in the Soul of the Church, so Joe Humrichaus is his name. And he wrote this book from his experiences. And I know his experiences well because I was there when Joe was rejected and wounded, not by the devil's people, but by God's people. And there was a lot of pain. And there was a lot of accusation. And I had a chance years later to talk to him and I asked him that question, how difficult was that for you to go through that time getting hurt by believers. I'll never forget his response that he said to me. He said, well, Jeremy, he said, you can't hurt what's already dead, is what he said. He had died to Jesus Christ. He was doing his best to be obedient. But as I've read through his book, a line came out, and I want to close our time together with this idea of the scars that we will have in this world. This jumped out at me, and I thought of some of you as I read through this. Factions and adversity often reveal those who have passed the test of spiritual genuineness 
and purity. We will not be able to take the mixed multitude to maturity. Curious onlookers and bread and fish followers do not make the cut during adversity. Through trials, the cream rises to the top and the faithful remnant will appear. Honestly, he writes, I have often been surprised at who endures through the hard times. Again, in the ministry of Jesus, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him after some hard teachings. The residual effect of faithful stewardship during adversity will leave you with a committed remnant who then follow Jesus by choice. I don't mean to... Uh, you know, give a, 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 a morbid picture at the end of our time talking about the church here. And honestly, those who suffer with Jesus Christ, I don't have time to develop this, but those who suffer with Jesus Christ will be glorified with Jesus Christ. So we do have that to look forward to. But I just want to prepare you that wounds will come. And here's why I'm telling you that. Because something great comes from a local assembly when they go through those trials and through those valleys, and they have to forgive. Listen to me. When you have to forgive this one on this side of the aisle over here for something, that's a hard thing to go through, but that bonds you in some kind of a way. That does something within you that demonstrates the love that Jesus Christ talks about. And when we go through those things, and some of you have forgiven and forgiven and forgiven, and yes, yeah, 70 times 7. I know you're not done yet, okay? But it's worth it. Because God takes those things and he works in us and he builds something beautiful. I hope that you are able to set aside any misunderstandings. And I know that there are different people at different levels. Some folks have just started attending a church possibly. Maybe some have just come back, so maybe you're not ready for that kind of a trial. But let me just encourage you to set your expectation very wisely for the church and to see the church not as the world sees her, but as Jesus Christ sees his bride. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, you look at this beautiful picture, and it's so wonderful that we can be a part of it. I thank you for the love that you express I thank you for how clearly this picture of the body with Christ as the head and we as the body, and we can't get anything done without Christ leading us. May that always be our battle cry for the glory of Jesus Christ. And we thank you that you choose to work through a feeble and a hurt and an imperfect body for your own glory. Because if we were all that incredible and wonderful, we could brag in ourselves at how great it was and what happened. And yet, God, all the glory goes to you because you take every one of us as sinners and make us a new creation and then put us into your church to do something that will last for eternity. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm gonna ask Ron just to play just a short song on the piano and I wanna give you a chance to pray. It could be that you're here today and you have never established a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you've known who he was, you've known he died on the cross, but you've never decided to follow him. You can pray right now and tell God you want to give him your life. 
perhaps God's laid something else on your heart at this time. Whatever that is, would you just talk to your Heavenly Father at this point?